Okay, today I want to address one of society's troubling issues. And I want to address it from God's Word and from His kingdom perspective. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, two verses. First of all, as followers of Jesus, Jesus said in John 17 that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. In other words, we're in this world, but we don't have to do life the way the world around us does life. We don't have to see things the way they see it. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said we're to seek first the kingdom of God, which is his government, his rule over our lives. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is his character. It's the way he conducts himself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that we need in life will be provided for us. So basically, God has asked us to live our lives representing his kingdom and his nature in our world. Now, we teach that regularly here at the Bridge Church. But look at Matthew chapter 11, because I want to dive into a message today entitled... How many have little girls or little granddaughters? Let it go, let it go. You know that well. I want to talk to you today about let it go. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 16. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus says, but, what to, or, but to what shall I liken this generation? He said, let me tell you what this generation's like. Read on. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions. Now, pause a minute. Jesus didn't address this to children. He addressed it to the entire generation, young and old alike. He said, what is this generation like? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling out to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourn to you and you did not lament. Verse 18, Jesus said, For John, John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man, or Jesus himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Then Jesus says this, But wisdom is justified by her children. Now, I want you to notice real quickly how Jesus described the generation of his day. He said, first of all, they were like children. Well, what do we know about children? Well, children are cute, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, but they're also very immature. Okay, I'm not talking about your kids, I'm talking about somebody else's kids. I know your kids and your grandkids are all perfect, but other people's kids, you just don't know, okay? Jesus said they're immature. This generation is an immature generation. And then he says, they're sitting in the marketplaces. Now, what do you do in the marketplace? You do business. You do your shopping. You do your trading. You do what you do to sustain your life. He said, they're sitting in the marketplaces. They're not engaged. They're irresponsible. And they're unproductive. That's what Jesus said about his generation. And then he said, they're always complaining and finding fault in everybody and in everything around them. And here's the two illustrations Jesus gave. 
He said, you know, John the Baptist came and he dressed in, in camel skins and ate wild honey and lived out in the wilderness. And, you know, he didn't get involved in anything close to sin. And you said, he's got a devil. He said, now I come and I sit with sinners and I eat meals with them. I come eating and drinking and you say I'm a wine-bibber and a glutton because I eat with sinners. He said, that's just how this generation is. No matter what you say, what you do, somebody is going to be offended at you. Okay, now that was Jesus' day. Okay? How many of you are glad we're not like that today? <laughs> I'm going to get to that in a minute. Doesn't that sound like our world today? So I, I'm going to talk about this today. Notice the last thing that Jesus says in this passage. He says, wisdom is justified by her children. Now, some think, well, that's an odd statement to throw in there. No, it's a conclusion. So let me kind of wrap it up for you. Jesus is saying, if we live wisely, what our lives will produce will be seen as wisdom. How many of you know the end result can't be judged until you get to the end result? You can't judge wisdom. Somebody makes an act and you say, well, ah, that's stupid. Well, wait, let it run full circle and see if it's stupid or not. See, Jesus said wisdom is known in the end as wisdom because it produces right actions. So let's talk about our world today. I believe today in our world there is a spirit of offense that's at work, especially in our nation. A spirit of offense that overwhelms so many people. We live in the age of offense. The spirit of offense has infected our society. It is now very much in style to be offended about something. If you're not offended about something, you don't fit in the world today. Now, turn to, turn to your spouse and say, let it go. Don't get offended with me. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Everywhere we turn, society encourages us to be angry and offended at someone or something. And every day, our society invents new offenses. Preach it. I like that. Let me illustrate it to you, okay? And I'll get into this more in a couple of minutes, but there have always been real offenses. People do things that hurt. Isn't that right? People will hurt you. People will say harsh things. People will do mean things. There are real offenses. But let me show you what's happened in our society. Now we begin to embrace perceived offenses. Well, I perceive that what you really meant was such and such, so I am offended. That's right. And now, that has even spiraled down to, everybody hold your breath, microaggressions. I, I got an email from a lady a couple, three years ago, accused me of several microaggressions. And the ones she pointed out were from God's Word. So I thought, huh, I guess that's the world in which we live. But, but let me go a little further. What does a spirit 
of offense produce? What does a spirit of offense create? If I accept this spirit of being offended, what does it create? A spirit of offense creates victims. A spirit of offense makes me a, a victim to somebody or something. A spirit of offense seeks opportunities to create victims. And if I choose to live as a victim, I choose to forfeit my God-given future and embrace unnecessary pain. Thank you, Pastor Corey. See, even a young man recognizes that. He'll teach that on Wednesday night. If I choose to, if I choose to live as a victim, I choose to forfeit my God-given future and then I embrace unnecessary pain. This is really good. I'm going to go slow this morning for a little while. A spirit of offense takes my eyes off of God and focuses only on me. So I follow my emotions. <laughs> Poor me. I know I've just offended somebody doing that, but please let it go. <laughs> A spirit of offense demands attention and pity. Self-pity. A spirit of offense creates senseless anger. Senseless anger. A spirit of offense creates contagious bitterness. Think about bitterness. You've got to watch it because you get around bitter people and it will spread to you in a hurry. It's contagious. A spirit of offense causes me to become a slave to my offender. Let that one sink in for a minute. If I choose to embrace offense, I become a slave to my offender. I don't hurt them. They're just hurting me every day of my life because of my offense. Here's a good one. A spirit of offense interferes with maturity. Like I said earlier, we are adults. We're mature in here. Even those watching online are somewhat mature. I'm joking, okay? My search for microaggressions is a sign of my immaturity. Well, this is good today. People who are consumed with offenses are immature people. Spiritually immature and emotionally immature. A spirit of offense is never satisfied. If it can't find something else to be offended about, it'll embrace the offense of other people. Always looking for offense. A spirit of offense replaces God's healing and forgiveness with revenge and compensation. But revenge and compensation will never heal emotional pain. Now, as believers, God asks us to be in this world, but not of this world system. So what does God's word say about offenses? Well, a, a couple of things real quickly. Jesus said offenses will come. You are going to be hurt in this life. People are going to say things and do things that will hurt your feelings. It's going to happen. You don't want to look for it. You don't want to expect it, but it will happen. Jesus said offenses will come. But he also said, woe to offenders. How many of you know when God says, woe to you, it's woe, it's bad news. See, God will deal with offenders. Maybe not the way you want or the time frame you want, but God will deal with it. 
But then Jesus also gave us instructions for confronting, forgiving, reconciling, and healing offenses. So for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about three kinds of offenses. And I want to encourage you today to just let it go. Let it go. Okay? Three kinds of offenses. Number one, we can be offended with people. We can be offended with people. Every day of our lives, we have opportunities to be offended with people. Do you know when I get most offended? It's driving down the street with the way idiots drive today. With the way people have no regard for the law. It drives me crazy because I'm a rule follower. I always drive the speed limit or within 20 miles an hour of it. I'm I'm a rule follower. Depends on what I'm driving. But here's the deal. Every day of our lives, we have opportunities to be offended by people. And Jesus gave us some instructions for offenders. He said, whoa, dude, you better slow down because you will pay for what you're doing if you don't settle down and make this right. You need to correct it. Years ago, I, I, I knew a lady. I mean, she, she could be the sweetest woman in the world, but then she could turn on a dime and she could get so angry and say, if you don't like me the way I am, tough. That's your problem. You know what that is? That's an offender looking for an opportunity to offend somebody. Jesus says, whoa, if that's you, you need to slow down because you will eventually have to deal with what you're doing. And here's what Jesus said. If, if you go to pray, and he uses the Old Testament expression, but if you come to the temple and you have your gift for God, whether it's a sacrifice or a monetary offering, you come to the temple and you have your offering, and you come down to the altar to, to offer to God, and you remember, oh, you know what? I've offended somebody. I, I've got a situation with somebody. Jesus said, put your, your offering down. Lay it down at the altar. Go make it right with that person. Then come back, and then God will hear what you have to say. So we have a responsibility, if we offend people, to go to them and make it right. And sometimes there is some compensation involved. But we need to be quick to act when we know we have been the offender. But then he also gave instructions for the offended. He said, if you've been offended, you need to sit in your house and whine and cry and feel bad about it until that person comes and makes it right. That's not what he said. Because he didn't want you to sit in your house for the rest of your life. Because a lot of times people offend you and they don't even know they've offended you. Come on, smile at me this morning. I got the offenders, now I'm getting the offended. Jesus said, if you've been offended by somebody, it is your responsibility to go to them and say, hey, you know what? You said this or you did this. Man, that really hurt. Did you mean that? Why did you say that? Why did that happen? It's okay to go to them and confront them in a loving way and say, man, I don't don't want to live with this hurt in my heart. What happened? What caused that? It's okay to do that. And then Jesus said, "If, if, if you sort it out and you reconcile, you've gained your brother back and you can live without any pain or hurt. If not, he said, go get witnesses and go in a spirit of love and reconciliation and meet with them again and try to iron out the problem. 
That's the way you do things. And if they refuse to reconcile, he said, then don't even treat him as a brother. Just move on and keep your distance. That's what Jesus said. Pray for him. The best thing you can do for somebody who's offended you is pray for them. Not pray against them. Don't pray, oh, God, kill them. Pray, oh, God, bless them. But we also, as believers, have a responsibility to say, I'm not going to be offended by stuff. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Years ago, this old preacher, friend of mine, who who mentored me in, in days gone by, one day he was preaching in a church where I was pastoring, and he was talking about offenses, and he made this statement. He says, whatever happens in life, it's nothing unless I say it's something. Unless I embrace it for myself, no matter what people say, no matter what they do, it's nothing. It's in one ear and out the other, unless I grab hold of it and choose to be offended. And this guy had been through some major situations in his life. He had been through some major nasty things that people did. And he learned, best thing I can do is let it go because God will deal with it. God will deal with it. Let it go. Let it go. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read a few verses there and make some quick comments before we move to the last two points. Ephesians 4, verse 29, I'm going to jump into the middle of what Paul is saying here, but I'm going to go through this quickly. I'll make some comments, and then I'll come back and tie it together. He says, let no corrupt word. Corrupt word means worthless words. When you talk to people, don't use worthless words. Don't use words that make them worthless. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Did you know your words can lift somebody up or you can deflate them? Words lift, words deflate. He says in verse 30, notice what he says next. And do not, he doesn't even end the the statement, he just keeps going. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now those words we don't use a lot, so let me just tell you what it says. It says let, which means to open your hands and let it go. Let it rise up. Let go of bitterness, which is poison, wrath, which is passion, anger, which is violent passion, clamor, which is screaming at people, and evil speaking, which means to vilify somebody else as a horrible person. It says, let it all be put away from you. It uses the same exact word again, let it go. Twice in this verse, it says, let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it go, let it go. Along with all malice or bad actions. Don't retaliate. Then it says in verse number 32, and I love this, and be kind to one another. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So how do I live? I live guarding my heart. I'm not going to let stuff get stuck in my heart. I'm not going to do it. 
I need to season my words with grace because God hears all of it, and so do the people I talk to. I need to let it go and choose to release offenses that might come my way. If somebody says something and I'm not sure what they mean, I'm going to let it go and not think the worst. I'm going to think the best. And finally, I need to love and forgive as Christ loves and forgives me. Can you see Jesus hanging on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. It's hard to do. Jesus did it well because he looked beyond the conflict. He looked beyond the offense. He looked beyond what people were saying and doing. And he saw the other side and he realized there's something better coming. I'm not going to get stuck here. I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move forward to what God has next for me. We need to live that way. And then one little thought here before I move to the end. Romans 16, Paul said, you know those people that are always in the middle of a mess and always in the middle of a big... You know what Paul said? Paul said, avoid them. Stay away from them. Stay away from them. Avoid people. Why? Because if you're not careful, that same spirit will wrap around you and they'll drag you into their mess and you'll start seeing more messes of your own. This is good. This is really good. Okay? So you can be offended by people. Let it go. The number two, we can be offended by life. We can be offended by things beyond our control, things that happen in life. Illustrate this from Scripture. John the Baptist. You know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Jesus said there was never a man who lived greater than John the Baptist. He was chosen by God to introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God to the world. What an amazing opportunity. John the Baptist got thrown into prison. And they were about to chop off his head. And you know what happened? John got discouraged. Anybody might be discouraged if they threw you in the county jail and they said, we're chopping your head off here in a few days. Be a little bit discouraging. So John calls his disciples in during visiting hours and says, hey guys, go find Jesus and ask him, is he really the one or do we look for somebody else? Have you ever questioned your faith when things didn't go right in life? Did you ever get upset with God? Did you ever hold a grudge and say, God, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be like this. Have you ever looked at circumstances and tragedies in life and say, God, you could have stopped this. You ever done that? And what does it do? You begin to carry an offense towards life and towards God and towards the things and the people around you because they don't see things the way you see it. When life goes badly, we tend to become bitter, discouraged, and oftentimes we blame God. Years ago, I, I knew a family that uh, were dear friends, and they got hit with just an unspeakable tragedy in their family. It was horrible. And I watched them walk this out, and I spent a lot of time with them, trying to encourage them, trying to move them forward to release what was behind and reach for what was ahead. But after a period of time, they became offended with me because I refused to let them stay back there. And it severed our friendship because...
They, they said, we just got to stay here instead of moving forward. Let me tell you something. When you get bitter and offended with life in God, it'll put you in a neutral position where every wind that blows will blow you somewhere, and it's, none of it's ever where you intended to go. None of it. None of it. You see, listen closely. God has given us a promise for difficult days. Romans 8, 28. And we know, and we know, we know that God will cause all things to work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You just trust God and keep moving forward, and God turns it all around in the big picture of life. When that season ends, you'll find a season of blessing if you'll walk it out with God and not be offended. Don't be offended with life. Don't be offended with God. So what's our response? In the most difficult moments of life, we've got to let it go and just put it in God's hands and let him work because he knows what he's doing. He didn't create the evil, but he knows how to use it to bring good into our lives. It's the same thing Joseph said to his brothers. Man, all that stuff you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God used it and turned it for good. It took years, but look where I'm at now because I trusted God and walked with him. That's what God asks us to do. Trust him. Let him work. And then the third thing, and this is the last part of my message. We can be offended by God's word. Did you know that? I mean, John the Baptist, Jesus said never was a greater man. He got offended at life the way it went. We can be offended at God's word. In in John chapter 6, Jesus is sharing this amazing teaching about him being the bread of life. And in this teaching, the Pharisees are coming after him because he's bringing Old Testament references in. And they don't like what he's saying about the bread from heaven and the manna and all this. And then in the middle of it, Jesus makes this statement. He said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, we took communion today. We took the Lord's Supper which is symbolic of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What he did for us on the cross becomes our life and our nourishment in life. When Jesus said that, eat my flesh, drink my blood, even his disciples got offended. And boy, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious folks, man, they really came at him hard and said, you can't believe you said that. And Jesus knew what was going on and He turns to his disciples and says, does this offend you too? Are you you offended at this too? You see, the longer we walk with God, the more simple the pathway becomes, the more narrow it becomes, because it comes clear. This is my path. I'm going to walk it. But along that journey, as that path begins to narrow and God begins to give us new instructions for our life, It's really easy to say, "Mm, I don't like that one. I I love God. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want any of that, so I'll just do it my way. And then we hear the preacher, like this morning, talk about offenses, and all of a sudden, I don't like that. In this conversation, disciples began to leave, began to walk away from Jesus. Jesus looks at his guys and says, well, are you going to leave also? 
Peter speaks up and got it right this time. You know, he was known for getting his foot in his mouth. So, some, sometimes the only time he didn't have his foot in his mouth is when he was changing feet, actually. It's kind of how Peter lived. But Peter speaks up and says, are we going to leave? Where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. You see, we need to have a heart that says, if God's word says it, I'm going to embrace it, I'm going to let it shape my life, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, let me tell you why. John chapter 1, verse 1 says that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. He's God's message to mankind. But if I reject God's word, I'm really rejecting Jesus. See, I claim him to be my savior, and sometimes I want him to be my Lord. But if I don't like something he says, then I just kind of reject it. Well, when I reject his word, I'm rejecting Jesus. Everybody smile at me. I'm almost finished. So if I reject God's word in some area of my life, that area of life is going to struggle. And I, if I withhold that area of life from God and his government, his righteousness, his kingdom, before long as the spirit of God begins to deal with me, I close him out and I get offended with him. What do you do when you get offended with somebody? You avoid them and you stop talking to them. What do you do when you get offended at God? You avoid him and you stop talking to him. And when you stop talking... It begins to affect your relationship with God. One more little illustration. One day this guy comes to Jesus. <clears throat> He's known as the rich young ruler. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts walking through the commandments. He names several of them. Not all of them, but several of them. This guy says, ha, I've done all of that since I was a young man. I'm perfect in God's sight. Jesus says, well... There's one thing you're lacking. You've got your heart wrapped around your money, your riches. Go and sell everything you have and then come and follow me and you'll find eternal life. Scripture says he walked away sorrowful because he had great riches. He got offended at the words of Jesus and the offense separated him from Jesus. Closing today. You know, Jesus, Jesus took this thing really, really strongly. He, he, made it, he made it important in his word, this principle of offense and forgiving and reconciling. Jesus went so far as to say, if forgiveness gets stopped going this way, then forgiveness gets stopped going this way. If you can't forgive people who do little things, then God can't forgive you for the big things that separate us from him. Don't be offended with people. Let it go. Don't be offended with life. Trust God. A new season is coming. Let it go. Don't be offended at God's word. Let it shape your life. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Even if you don't fully understand it, you think, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Start walking it out and let God's grace help you. But do not reject God's word. Don't be offended at the word of God because blessing follows it. I want to pray for you today. I want to ask everybody here, just bow your heads for a moment. 
Father, today, as I've shared your word, you're, you're speaking to people all over this room about different kinds of offenses. And Father, I've learned through the years that if we ask you to show us offense in our hearts, that's the fastest prayer you answer. You'll show it to us right now. So we open our hearts and we say, God, if there's anything there, show me so I can release it. I want to let it go. Father, I pray for people all over this room that right now they'll be able to release things that have come their way at the hands of people, at the way of life, and even the challenges of accepting and embracing your word. God, show us, show us how we need to take steps of faith rather than steps of anger and doubt. Show us the right path. Some of us need to go to a brother or a sister and reconcile, swallow hard and say, I'm sorry. Some of us may need to compensate someone for how we've taken advantage of them financially. Show us. But God, today we embrace your word because when we embrace your word, we embrace you. Because Jesus is the word. Thank you today for speaking to each one of us. Now, give us faith to act. Act on what we've heard and put it to work in our lives and see your blessing in Jesus' name. While heads are still bowed, one more moment. Maybe you've never opened your heart to God. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer that says, God, I need you. But maybe today you've realized God put his own son on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and become a part of his family. That's his grace extended to us. But his grace must be embraced. We have to accept by faith what he's promised to us through Jesus. Maybe today you're sitting there or maybe you're watching online and right now you're realizing, wow, God's knocking on the door of my heart. I, I need to open my heart to him. Even though I don't understand it all, I need to let God become my God and start walking this life of faith. I want to take my first step today. If that's you, I want to pray with you and pray for you today. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to wrap your heart around this prayer. Let my words become your words and let it come from your heart. You may even have more words. Let's open our hearts to God. Father, I come to you today and I thank you that you loved us so much. You gave your son to pay for our sins. We believe Jesus came to this earth as a son of God. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead and he ascended back to the Father. Now, God, we embrace Jesus as our Savior the one who can pay the price for our sins, and the Lord of our lives, the one who will guide our footsteps and lead us into abundant life. Father, I pray you'd forgive me of all that's behind me and walk me into the blessings you have for my future. And Father, I thank you. From this moment forward, you're my father. I'm your son. I'm your daughter because of Jesus. Thank you for loving and receiving me today. Amen. Hey, can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? Now, just before Pastor Corey comes, one last thing. If you prayed that prayer today, whether you're in the building or watching online, 
we want to give you a little gift. It's a booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading to help you get started walking with God. We'd love to give it to you. If you're watching online, there are instructions how you can get it. If you're in the building, two ways. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. Just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you've got questions, they'll answer your questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. But let us put this in your hand. If you're in a big rush, out in the middle of the lobby, as you exit, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there with the sign that says the next seven days. Stop in there. You can get it there as well. It's our free gift to you. God bless you today. Thank you. We thank Pastor Gary for that awesome message this morning. So, so, so good. Pastor, can you come preach that at youth here soon? I'm going to need these young people to hear it. Hey, uh, this is the moment in our service where we get to honor God, worship God with our giving. We really believe here that uh, giving um, is really just an extension of our worship. There's several options you'll see on the screen. Um, if you want to give a physical gift in the house, there are envelopes in the seat backs, two spots you can drop that right before you get to the foyer. There's a giving station on either side of the exit doors of our auditorium and then near our kids check-in. Hey, um, I want to take a moment to just brag on our youth students because as many of you guys know, um, a few weeks back, Pastor Gary um, challenged the church to raise $100,000 for missions, for outreach, to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I kept feeling like Bridge Youth can't miss out on this opportunity. And so Pastor had made a statement when he challenged us. He said, I feel like there's a handful of families who can do $1,000. He said, and maybe you can't, maybe you can do $5 or $20 or whatever it is. But when Pastor said that, I thought to myself, Bridge Youth is like a family. Let's raise $1,000. So I challenged our students that next Wednesday to raise $1,000 to go to missions. And this last, as of last week, Bridge Youth, our teenagers here at the church, have raised $1,367.87. So cool. I love to see our entire church collectively getting on board to honor God with our giving, to see our world impacted. And when I, when I see that, it's really not just to brag on our youth ministry and how amazing our teenagers are, but it just makes me think it's so awesome how much more we can do together. So I just want to say thank you so much for your generosity in giving. God bless you as you give. Hey, before we take off today, let me remind you, kids camp, it's like one month away. It's going to be amazing. The theme is lift off. It's space and sci-fi and cool and awesome and fun. Hey, tomorrow the registration price goes up by $10. So if you if you're bringing your kids, register them today. Save 10 bucks. It's going to be an amazing week for your kids. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church this morning? We love you guys. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.